Welcome back to our book study on I Believe in Love. We are on conference nine now, um, getting close to being finished. And this conference was about the Eucharist. Uh, I don't know why he waited till conference nine <laughs> to do the Eucharist. Source and summit. Exactly. He never almost at the end. He never used the word source and summit. He did not. But yeah, yeah the church teaches that the Eucharist is the source and summit, meaning where we draw our life from and where we want to lead other people to. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yeah, he, it's he all through that. the chapter, even though he doesn't use those words specifically. It's through the chapter, but I can see, I guess why you would end this way because I think Fred and I before we started recording we're talking about how this was a little bit harder one um, it still is beautiful and it has some some gems that God is speaking but it was a little bit harder and where I saw that difficulty was like it wasn't solely about the Eucharist right like and I guess like looking back at it it was like he was threading the previous eight chapters through this like culminating uh-huh. in yeah. the Eucharist almost and it was also the most catechetically and theologically yeah, dense yeah. chapter of the book. I don't mind that. I, yeah, I know. I know you. I I, that's your wheelhouse. You love that. But it, um, it certainly was. I found it a bit ironic. But once again, it was one of those mornings that we've had in the past. And I found myself struggling with why is this chapter so hard? Kara, we're in the midst of recording a show called My Lord and My mm-hmm. God. By the time you are listening to this, we've already debuted our first episode, possibly our second. So it's a new show we're launching, My Lord, My God. It's on the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. It's a year with the Eucharist. And I found myself thinking, how unfit and unqualified am I that this chapter is a struggle for me. So I well, had I think a little bit of that. there's warfare around it too, because it is the source and summit. Absolutely. So obviously there's going to be a little bit of warfare to bring a discussion about the beauty of God's right. love given right. the Eucharist. So, but I thought it was a very beautiful one. And he, you know, he ties in suffering, he ties in abandonment and trust mm-hmm. and all of the other things that we've been focusing on over the last eight weeks. And it all culminates in, in the Eucharist, which we get to receive every day. So I think it was a wonderful chapter. Um, if we allow ourselves to, you know, pull out those things that yeah. God's trying to speak to us, you yeah. know. Once again, it's one of those topics that it's easy to take for granted. Yeah, yeah. Not just a topic, but the Eucharist yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> yeah. Eucharist itself. Like, yeah, yeah, I know it's the body of Christ, you mm-hmm. know. And I think it's easy to come to this chapter the same way we come to communion. Yeah. It's just something we do. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we believe, we might believe, yeah, that is the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ in the sacrament. But I think a lot of times we come to it as, yeah, give me the, give me the cracker. I'm ready to go. Mm -hmm. You know, like we feel that way, whether Mm -hmm. we realize it or not. And I like how he actually talks about St. Therese and her struggles in Mm -hmm. prayer. Cause I think once again, St. Therese being relatable, as you always say, like, oh, St. Therese is often distracted in prayer too. Mm -hmm. And she even talks about how, receiving communion oftentimes immediately after it isn't overwhelming consolation. Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. sometimes that's when she has the least consolation. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to skip to the end of the chapter because it was the part that that, like really touched me the most. Cause I think it's the answer to how I was feeling reading this chapter. Mm -hmm. He talks about when you receive communion and this is drawing right from St. Therese, which Loving St. Therese, I was like, how come I never saw this or heard this before? You know, but Mm -hmm. once again, treasure's old, treasure's new. Uh, It's on page 241. Here is a good thought, which is not often mentioned. Receive communion, not only for yourself in order to have the immense grace, but for Jesus in order to respond to his desire to come down into you, 
to give him the joy of descending into your heart. And this is the part that blew me away, Kara, his next phrase here, which is a heaven for him. Yes, if you call upon him to make your heart a heaven for him. Mm -hmm. That blew my mind to think like, uh, I go to communion, I receive Christ and I... And all my filth and, you know, sin and faults, I'm a heaven for him. Mm-hmm. That just blew my mind. And it goes back to that question in the first chapter. Do you believe that you're a joy for Jesus? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But it's just like that manger. Right. The manger wasn't a heaven for him. And yet it was. Right. Because there he was right in, right in the midst of our filth, <laughs> right. literally. You well, know? And what is heaven? It's complete union and worship of God. Right. And that's when we receive the Eucharist. It's a complete union. I think that's something that I never really, uh, I never really thought of when I learned about the Eucharist or when I received the Eucharist, it was almost just like, Oh, Jesus is dwelling within me. Right. No, take it a step further or five steps further. It's like, he's not just dwelling within you. You are now one. Right. Uh, with Jesus. And I think that's so humbling yeah. That he wants to become us. There's one part um, on page 240. It says, he willed the unity of love to be one with us. The fathers of the church search for comparisons to explain the union. Two pieces of wax, which when mixed are no longer distinguishable one from the other. Like think of that when right. you receive the Eucharist. Are we distinguishable from Christ? I would say yes. Yeah. Like you can probably tell the difference between Kara and Christ, <laughs> yeah. but it, we're not supposed to be. Right, we're supposed to be out in the world living as Christ, indistinguishable from Him. Yeah, and like to the be, words of Saint Patrick that we quote. Yes, often, yes, yes. You know, Christ in the eye of everyone that sees me. Yeah, yeah. So when you say like, our heart is a heaven for Him, mm-hmm. it's because we're supposed to be completely united and Him dwelling within us. Right, not just dwelling within us, but completely united as one. Yeah, I, I think that was a part that going a little further in in this in this section is that it really got to me is like so oftentimes we come to mass leading with our preferences mm-hmm. you know like oh that was a crappy homily you know right. i didn't like the music yeah or, i didn't you like know, the yeah. music uh you know fathers gives a, gives a better homily his 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 penances are too light i don't like going to that priest for confession right. you know or or what have you and yet St. Therese, since I have offered myself to Jesus, not as a person who desires to receive his visit for my own consolation, but on the contrary, for the pleasure of him who gives himself to me. Mm-hmm. And she goes on to say, in order to find another heaven, the heaven of our souls made in his image, the living temple of the adorable Trinity. How often do we hear people say, I don't get anything out of mass? That's what I have written here. Like, Commun- we literally have the same have thing this- written in the same <laughs> spot so in our book. <laughs> I put the same thing. Communion isn't getting something out of mass. It's giving yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Giving yourself to him and giving him something. Yeah. Heaven. Like that is incredible to think about. And that just, I don't know. I felt convicted on that. Like maybe the type of liturgy that's celebrated, it should be celebrated well to be clear, but maybe all those preferences, maybe I let those distract me too much. Mm-hmm. Am I more concerned about, the music in the missile and where it's coming from than I am the state of my heart. Yeah. Now yeah. I have a preference. I absolutely have a preference, but my heart should be the primary concern. Right. Well, I guess my mind immediately went to those who might have left the church right. by saying that, well, yeah. I didn't get yeah. anything from it. And that is an easy place to jump to. Right. 
but yeah it's all the more true within ourselves like how much how much more dissension do we have not just within the church but within our own heart yeah right, of, of not right. yeah of exactly that like i i want something i want to go back to the pew and be able to tell a story about the time that i cried because he consoled right. me after communion yeah those are beautiful moments and they draw us into prayer but we don't receive him for the sake of ourselves we receive him to please him yeah so i really liked that Therese quote yeah and I know I've been called a reminiscer because I want the altar, you know, I want the communion rail. I right. want the smells and bells. So right. I, but what's most important is my heart. And I think you have a good point with people that have left because mm-hmm. they do often say I wasn't being getting, fed. I wasn't mm-hmm. being fed and they find what they're looking for over there. And we make the mistake that that being fed is entertainment. Right. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about meaningful encounter. They're talking about meaningful relationship. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I I just the sad think, thing is that at the at the Catholic Church, like we are being fed the the truest form of bread, right. the truest form of yeah. nourishment. I think the sad thing when that is the takeaway, like I'm not being fed, it it means that we're not brave enough or courageous enough or doing it well enough sharing the love of of God and what the Eucharist right. means. We're not being conformed enough yes. to make that clear. Yeah. Yeah, with that, there was a part in the in this chapter that was on page 233. It says, I understand that only love makes the members of the church act. That if love were ever extinguished, apostles would no longer announce the gospel. Martyrs would refuse to pour out their blood. I understand that love embraces all vocations, that love is all. I think it's easy to see this in the culture, like we've we've extinguished you know sharing the gospel would there be martyrs in the church but i think it's also present in the church you know and you yeah. see that and this isn't this isn't like calling someone out in negativity honestly i think it, it brings all the more hope and like vigor for hey we have a mission here like let's go out and do it but when we say you know people have left saying they haven't been fed when at the church we have the purest form of nourishment in right, God himself. Right. Are we courageously sharing the gospel? Like this says we need to announce the gospel, but it says when, when you don't have love, when it's extinguished, we no longer do that. So I don't have an answer to this, but can this be seen in the church? Like right. that maybe sometimes the love is not there. Yeah. And there's the challenge in this chapter to be an apostle of the Eucharist, if you will. Yeah. And, I think part of that delay going back to kind of how we started is people that aren't being fed, they're not leaving because they don't have screens Mm -hmm. and they don't have an awesome praise and worship band. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not why they're leaving. They're leaving because they don't know that their hearts are a heaven for Christ. And I would, I would go so far as to say, neither do we, if we think they're leaving just for entertainment, just mm-hmm. for coffee in the lobby. Mm-hmm. Like th- there's something more it's, there. It's our job to proclaim that love of Christ. Cause like you said, they're leaving f- because they want authentic relationships. That's not just relationships within the body of Christ, right. like in small groups and things like that. Although that is a great start. Right. It's authentic encounter with Christ himself. Mm-hmm. And so it's our role as baptized believers yeah to tell them about the love of Christ, right. to not be afraid to share how, you know, our encounter with Christ in the Eucharist has changed our lives. Mm-hmm. That's where we come in as evangelists. Um, kind of going with what you were talking about earlier, Fred, um, with how sometimes, you know, 
preparing ourselves to receive communion. I liked the part in here where he talks about all you need to do to prepare for communion is make an act of love and an act of humility and you're prepared. And I related a lot to this as a mom because sometimes I'll get to like, you know, (laughs) we're doing the offertory hymn and I'm like, oh, communion's coming up. Like I don't even remember what the readings were. And (laughs) you know, like my kids were screaming through this. And so I am like, should I even go receive communion because I wasn't paying attention as well at mass and Mm -hmm. all of these things. And so I related a lot to that because it was like an affirmation. And later actually in the chapter, it says, you know, don't deny yourself communion for scruples. I'm like, oh, I'm definitely being scrupulous (laughs) in that. Um, But I liked how he said that, like just make an act of love and an act of humility. Mm -hmm. And on page 243 at the top, it actually quotes what we say at mass. It says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins. Is that not an act of love? When we proclaim, when we proclaim those words, is that not Mm -hmm. an act of love? Because we're proclaiming Christ came down to be a lamb and die for us, right? right? Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter. That's what it says next. I am not worthy, but speak only word. Is that not an act of humility? Right. So in mass, it gives us the words Mm -hmm. to make an act of love and to make an act of humility. So sometimes I think um, it's easy to fall into like, well, I missed that part. And maybe I wasn't paying attention as much. Like I probably shouldn't receive. And it's like, no, God desires your heart. He wants you to come and receive him. He wants to be one with you and allowing ourselves to fall into like scruples or those things when the mass gives us, you've made an act of love. You've made an act of humility. Now come and receive me. I thought that was very encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. And sorry, it's another zinger. Apparently all the zingers are on this, this page apparently, (laughs) but if only, if you only knew how Jesus hungers for you, how he burns with desire to come into your heart, how impatient he is to come down to you. Like, Keep going because yeah, it gets, yeah, even, it it gets get even more zinger. The day you miss a communion is a great disappointment for him. <laughs> yeah, so one. go to him and respond to desire that desire. Yeah. Never deprive him of this happiness through your own fault. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, you know, we live in a day, sure, we've heard the stats two thirds of Catholics don't believe. Right. And we see the nuns, N O N E S, is the fastest growing religion in the United States. It comes down to this. They don't know that. Mm-hmm. They don't know that Jesus hungers for them that that much, how yeah. much he desires, how much he wants to make their hearts a home. But Kara, I found myself feeling like I don't either. Yeah. No, that's so true. I think calling out where the culture is or where the church is, I, I, I never fall into pessimism about it. Right. It's so easy to fall into the like negativity right. and oh man, we're the church is struggling and this and that. But I really do see it as a source of hope. I do too, yeah. And I think mm-hmm. um I think in here the account of Saint Margaret Mary right. where Jesus said to her, I would have created the sacrament of love if it was only just for you. Uh, I think is so beautiful. Like her desire to go to church but she had to miss it. I think she was sick was so great that he revealed to her. I would have created the sacrament of love, even if it was just for you. Right. I think that's so beautiful yeah. because then it goes on to talk about the agony in the garden. And this oh, is how he articulates yeah, that. Wow. This has always yeah. been a point of like yeah. spiritual, just um, like contemplation, like picturing this. And it seems so prophetic. This part of the book. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's on uh, page 249. And it's talking about the agony in the garden. And it says he saw in advance the long days, the long nights when he would be alone, forgotten in thousands of tabernacles in solitary churches, the thousands of indifferent people who would pass each day before the churches without even thinking for an instant that he is there. Mm 
Those who would enter the churches to admire the windows, the architecture, yet not make even a little genuflection before the tabernacle. He saw the multitude of the baptized, whom he was to make his adopted children in his blood, who would neglect every Sunday mass. Like all of that, this was written several years ago, 50 years ago or so. Right, yeah. All of that is still the time we're living in today. Even more. How did we read this during the COVID shutdown and not like... And not like sob. <laughs> like we're yeah. not there. We don't get to be there. I know. And all of that was just, I guess it was just heart-wrenching thinking of him in the garden. Like we always think the agony in the garden, like he's he's sad of what's coming in the mm. cross. It's like, no, he gets to experience the pain of what he is going to endure physically on the cross, but also just this emotional pain of what he's going to experience after he leaves, like people turning away from him, denying him, pretending he's not real, believing he's not real. Like that pains him. Just like you saying yes to receiving him in communion pleases him. You denying him pains him. And just thinking the part about the like solitary tabernacle, like or solitary churches and empty, like people ignoring his presence in the tabernacle, like that was very convicting for mm-hmm. me. Um, because I met someone once and I was riding in a car with them, and every time we would pass a church, they would make the sign of the cross, and I'm like, why do they do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know if it was in reading this book or if it was just like as I was thinking of why they did that more, I started doing it because that's why, like the king of the world is in there and we just drive past on the street as Mm -hmm. if, as if that doesn't mean anything. And if that doesn't make a difference. So it was very convicting. So I started doing that more like making the sign of the cross when we're passing churches or, Mm -hmm. you know, genuflecting if you're out on a walk and you pass a church or something like that. And um, it reminds me of a story with Clara and uh, it's actually a blog post. Maybe we can, we can add that if people want to read it. But there was one time that, you know, me and my kids, we were out doing, errands and you know to get two kids out of the car by yourself reload them like multiple times we'd had like four different places to go it was just already a long day but before we had started we drove past a church on the way and my daughter goes mom can we stop by the church can we stop by the church and and I was like we have so much on our to-do list we have a lot we need to get done so in in my mind I'm like maybe she'll forget but I just go oh sure we'll do it later Mm. and I was just like hoping she would forget because we had a lot to, to do right Every single stop we made, are we going to go see Jesus? Or are we going to go to church? And I was like, no, not yet. Not yet. She did not forget. <laughs> so we were on our way back home and we passed this church again. And she goes, mom, can we please go stop and see Jesus? And so I was like, still, you're going to go home. We're already running late. I was like, we'll go park in the parking lot. We're not getting out and going inside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we go park in the parking lot. We look up at the cross. We all say a prayer together. And then we, you know, start driving away. And I just hear from the back seat. She goes, I really missed him. <laughs> like that, that was it right? for her. In yeah. my mind, I was so concerned with like getting my to-do list done, mm-hmm. but she just really missed him. Right. And like, how often are we so in our own world mm. that we don't have time to make it to, to mass today? We don't want to go there with with the kids by ourselves that's my reason right. <laughs> like i'll volunteer that one that's yeah. really hard for me i want to go to daily mass i don't know if i want to go by myself with all my kids right like how often do we have those excuses of well i have i have things i have to get done but just her example for me was very humbling cuz it was like all she wanted to do was stop and see him like she missed him mm-hmm. and i was so stuck in my world yeah so i thought that was just like our kids teach us the faith. They yeah, really do. They do. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, with that that idea in the in this chapter of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, mm-hmm. 
like contemplating not only the sins upon him, but also, you know, I, I think of an instance where uh, my kids, there was a extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, dropped a host on the floor oh, no. and someone stepped on it. Oh, no. And, and my kids were heartbroken. Yeah. Jesus saw that, yeah. you know, Jesus saw the empty tabernacle or the, you know, the, the tabernacles where he dwelled and, yeah. and no one came to visit. But he also you know, probably saw how heartbroken your kids were like there are going to be those people who care he knows that yeah Mm -hmm. i think that's where the hope is too just like with saint margaret mary you know he would create that all over just for her he sees you know we see like the negativity we see the people who are leaving the church it's like yeah but if we focus on our own interior life and our own love for him right he would do it just for you yeah just for you and that brings so much hope like it's that story of uh in in the old testament of sodom and gomorrah right? right he's like would you save it if there was just one you know it's like he would do that for just one. Right. That's you too. He would have created the sacrament of love for just you. And I see he actually a lot, says that in this chapter. He does. Yeah. And I see a lot of hope in that where mm. like, I want to be the one. Yeah. I know there's more than just me, but like, well, I want to be the yeah, one. St. Ter- uh, Teresa of Avila, I would create the whole world yeah. again just to hear you say you love me. Yeah. Uh, that's, the, that's the reality. I think the exclusivity of God's love yes. is overwhelming. Yes. Like God loves you, Kara, but I'm his favorite. We should all be able to say that. We, I think yeah. in some ways we can always, like Mary's his absolute favorite, right. but you know, we can hope for second favorite, right? Yeah. Uh, but we're all the same in that way. Like his love for us is that radical yeah. that he would endure it all. Yeah. He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. And in that humility, he makes himself present right. on the altar. Every single day. Every single day. Yeah. Going with uh, St. Teresa of Avila, I would create the whole world. I, that I, That extends, I think to the cross, to the Eucharist, to everything. Like he would do it all in a very personal way for each of us. But this chapter talked about how he worked the miracle much greater than creation because he instituted the Holy Eucharist. Think about that. Think about Mm -hmm. creation. Like we have all of, you know, the beginning of Genesis, there are so many teachings out there about the creation of the world. And regardless of what those are, it was a miracle. Like let's just all agree it was a miracle. But to, to say that the Eucharist is an even greater miracle than creation, mm-hmm. I think that is a bold statement, but it's a true statement because how is it anything less than a great miracle for God himself to not only become a slave, that's the kenosis in scripture. Right. Um, what is it? Philippians? Philippians. Yeah. I, Four or two or something. Yeah. I can't remember the quote. We're, 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 yeah. we're good at scripture. Yeah. <laughs> Usually. <laughs> but that's the kenosis where, you know, God emptied himself taking the form of a slave. Not only did he take the form of a slave, he takes the form of bread. Right. God himself becomes bread. That is the miracle of all miracles. You talk about relationship with Christ mm-hmm. and intimacy with him. What is more intimate than receiving him body, blood, soul, and divinity into your very person? Mm-hmm. And so we find those words on 240. He willed more than a union, more than a fusion. He willed the unity of love to be one with us. The partaking of the body and blood of Christ is nothing other than to cause us to be transformed into that which we consumed. That goes to being indistinguishable. Yeah. You should be one. You're yeah. transformed right. into Christ himself. Absolutely. Yeah. It leads back to yeah. right where you were talking about earlier. Yeah. I think that's a good place to end actually. Like in your reception of the Eucharist, go out and be Christ to the world. Mm. And that's why he wants you to receive him every single day, not just on Sundays, not just once a year. Um, and not to forget about him in the tabernacle, yeah. but receive the grace to go out and 
be him in the world to people. Yeah. Garrett, when we receive communion, I think we need to make the words of St. John the Baptist our own. He must increase and I must decrease. Mm 